And tonight's theme, as you have the notes there, is the reliability of the Bible. The reliability of the Bible. Look at verse 15, please. 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. That's a name for the Word of God. So we, have, we call it the Bible. It can be called the Word of God. It can be called the Holy Scriptures. In Psalm 119, there's all, all kinds of words that are listed that tell us uh, what is the Word of God or what is the Bible. And we're, we're, we're learning many of those. If, you're, if you listen to Brother Scott Polly's podcast, he's going through those right now. He's going through Psalm 119. And I would encourage you, if, you're, if you have time for that, listen in the car or whatever. It's 10 minutes every uh, five days a week. Anyway, I, I have to stay on track here. Uh, Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, a common name that we give the Bible, I just mentioned it, is the Word of God. The Word of God. So, here's a question. How do we know that is a true statement? How do we know it's the Word of God? If we're going to have a biblical worldview, which I believe as a Christian, that's where we should get our worldview. We should not get our worldview from the newspapers or from what's popular. Our worldview should come from the Word of God. And if that's the case, then I think we should know a little bit more maybe about the origin of the Word of God and how we can better trust the Word of God. That's the theme of tonight's lesson, the reliability of the Word of God. Now, the Word of God has always been under attack of the enemy. Who remembers a very early on attack of the Word of God following creation? Eve, okay, by, by the enemy, yep. Remember, yep. remember what he said? Who remembers what he said? Brother Barry? Right, he shall not surely die. But before that he said, Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? That's in Genesis 3.1. Let's look at that quickly. In Genesis 3.1. You were exactly right, Brother Barry. But he questioned the word of God. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Eve, Yea, hath God said? Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question. You know? In other words, it's, this is an opportunity right away that Satan is trying to get Eve to doubt the word of God. To doubt the word of God. And basically suggest, even to her and to us today, uh, that the Bible isn't really true. The questioning of Scripture continues today. Read, read a paragraph here. As recently as the 20th century, theological liberalism swept through Europe and then the U.S., dramatically changing the landscape of mainline denominations. Now we're talking about churches and their stand on the reliability of the Word of God. 
At the heart of these discussions and changes were severe challenges to the accuracy of the Bible. Seminaries, theologians, and pastors began to question the inspiration of Scripture. We're going to talk about inspiration in a moment. And the facts of the Bible, including its miracles and the deity of Christ. Some suggested that entire books in the Bible should be taken out. This questioning of Scripture continues today due to the pervasive influence of secularism Many people, even in Bible-preaching churches, have been led astray and accepted false views about God and the Bible. We need to be very uh, discerning. Just because it's on Christian radio and Christian television doesn't mean it's what you and I need to be listening or watching. You need to be very discerning. The broad brush of Christianity is getting broader as the days get, go on. And it's broader, but it's not any truer. So we need to be careful about that. One theologian said secularism has desensitized many people sitting in the pews of faithful gospel-preaching churches, leading them to unwittingly hold even heretical doctrines. A scholar by the name of F.F. Bruce said this, the evidence for the New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of the classical authors. The authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. Meaning, no one questions the classical authors, the classical works, if you will. If the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. But because it's the Bible, it's going to be challenged all the time, mainly because the enemy is behind all of it. The enemy is always questioning the Word of God. So what we're going to look at are some reasons tonight of how we can be strong in recognizing uh, these things about the Word of God. So let's look at the outline. Number Number one is the reliability of the Bible. The reliability of the Bible. Verse 16 of our text, the Bible itself claims to be a reliable source. All Scripture is given by inspiration of who? God. God. So that's a a pretty reliable source. (laughs) You know, as we talked about the existence of God last week, that's pretty reliable. Letter A uh, is inspired words. Inspired words. Who is the author of the Bible? God himself. God is the author of the Bible. It is God-breathed. That word inspiration means God-breathed. From a Greek word meaning God-breathed. Just as God breathed life into Adam and he became a living soul, God breathed his words into the Bible and it is alive today. This book is one of a kind. 66 books in one, but the one whole Bible, two Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, it is a book, it is a living book. It will never fail. And it will never be destroyed, as we'll talk about here in a few moments. Look at John 6.63. John 6.63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 
God speaks life. He spoke, he breathed life into Adam, and he speaks life into this book. The Bible is the only book that produces a penetrating conviction. You know, the best thing, some, best thing we can advise someone to do that is searching for truth is to encourage them to get a Bible and start reading it. You know, this book will do a lot more for someone than any of our words in this room. Now, yes, God uses our, our testimonies. God uses our experience of salvation and so forth. But this is the book that brings about conviction. This is the book that brings about eternal life. It's alive, and it will always be alive. It brings heart-penetrating conviction. It says of itself in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the Bible you hold in your hand. It it is referred to elsewhere as the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's incorruptible seed. And just as physical seed produces a plant and then fruit, God's Word produces fruit and new life. Turn over quickly, if you will, in your Bible to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. Verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, meaning incorruptible seed. And that is called what? The Word of God. There it is. Which liveth and abideth how long? Forever. It's an eternal book. Why? Because it's from an eternal God. You see how these lessons kind of build on themselves. The cornerstone of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, the existence of God, and now the reliability of Scripture, the reliability of the Word of God. So how did God breathe, if you will, His Word, and and now we have this? Well, God did use human instruments. God did use human penmen, if you will. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Peter. If you're in 1 Peter, just a, a couple pages to the, to the right. 2 Peter chapter 1. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible is not man's opinion. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is not somebody sitting down and just writing what he or she thinks should be done. It's the Word of God put in print, and it was given by the Holy Spirit of God to about 40 human authors. Think about this for just a moment. Numerous backgrounds, numerous occupations. It took approximately 1,500 years to write it. Three languages were used. Now that that alone is amazing to think about where all these people were, what they were writing. Three continents. 
And it covers all kinds of controversial subjects. One book to write. Uh, think about somebody who sits down and writes a book today. There's, you can't, well, no one lives 1,500 years, so, you know, it's pass it on to the next person, and that's preservation. We'll talk about that. Yet the entire Bible has a single theme and complete unity within itself. This could only happen if it had one author. One author is God. That's how it can all be unified. Even using 40 human penmen. The Spirit of God was the part of the Trinity, if you will. Even the writers themselves expressed that. Turn quickly to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. The, the human penman of the book of 2 Samuel is David. David. And David was used to write some large portions of Scripture. Look what he says in 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. The Spirit of the Lord told David what to write. The way I've, the way I've looked at this, it's kind of a, a simple illustration, but uh, this, pen are, this pen represents the, the human penman of our Bible. If you were to have the pen in your hand, then you would represent God. I'm not trying to say I'm God. I'm just saying I hold the pen in my hand, and I'm telling my pen what to write. But without the pen, I can't write anything. You follow? But who's doing the writing? Well, I'm doing the writing, but I have to have the pen to put it on paper. So I'm telling the pen what to write. God told these 40 authors what to write. And they wrote it down. God breathed. Henry Morris said this, there are in fact over 320 quotations from the Old Testament recorded in the New Testament, as well as over 1,000 clear and definite references to it. Always the context indicates the belief of the speaker or writer that he was referring to the authoritative Word of God whenever he made such a quotation or reference. The reliability of the Word of God. Letter A, these are inspired words. Letter B, these are inerrant facts. Inerrant facts. As we look back at 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable. What does this mean? It's profitable for significant areas of life, meaning nothing errors from the truth in God's Word. There are some aspects of the Bible in relation to facts. Let me give you some of these. These are interesting. The Bible is the only book of antiquity that gives an account of special creation of all things out of nothing. God created the world out of nothing. It's the only book like it that says that. 
The Bible is the only ancient book that gives a continuous historical record from the first man to the present era. We find accurate descriptions of historical events and people throughout the Bible. Thirdly, the Bible is the only religious book containing detailed prophecies of events that at the time of the writing had not yet happened but have since been fulfilled. In other words, from a historical standpoint, the Word of God recounts history which modern-day historians are only now catching up with. It was already there in the Word of God. For many years, historians questioned the biblical account of people known as the Hittites. The Hittites. As well as one of the Babylonian kings named Belshazzar. We can't find anything on them, so they must not have existed, so the Bible must be false. That was the consensus. And so, no evidence of these, then again, an attack on the Word of God. Guess what happened over time? Archaeological discoveries revealed material proof for the Hittites and for Belshazzar. Oh, so the Bible's true again. You see, the Bible was true before, the, before they dug up anything to prove it or disprove it. Because it's not any man's word. It's the word of God. How about this? From a scientific standpoint, the scripture records several facts before they were discovered by man. One of them, the earth is round. The Bible told, has told us that forever. Where does it tell us that? Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. The Bible says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. How about gravity? Gravity. There we go. Well, Mr. Newton, very brilliant man, Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton, way probably way more brilliant than I know me, I don't know about you, maybe one of you are comparable to him. But wow, brilliant guy. But Job 26:7 talks about gravity long before there was an Isaac Newton says he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing that's the power of God Job 26 7 I believe the one who created the earth knows everything about it How about you? (laughs) And so, because the one who created the earth knows everything about it, then the Bible's voice on history and science, as as as, as well as many other topics, is as accurate as we need. So again, we're talking about the reliability of the Bible. It's inspired words, it's inerrant facts. Letter C, it's infallible truth. Infallible truth. 
We mentioned earlier about prophecies that have been mentioned in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. We're going to look at just three quickly, okay? Number one is the prophet Daniel. Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, where it speaks of the specific time period of Christ's birth. And here we have the 70th, the 70-week prophecy, if you're familiar with that. That's not the lesson for tonight, but in Daniel 9.25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So that's 62 weeks plus the seven, 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And it continues on. Every sequence and spacing of years in this prophecy add up to Christ's crucifixion. So all we have to do is back it up 33 years. And there's also a prophecy there of Christ, the time period of when Christ would be born. Daniel told us that, and it's already been fulfilled. Another one is how he would be born. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 and verse 14 tells us that he would be born of the Virgin Mary. Not just the time period of his birth, but how he would be born. And, and again, this isn't, a, isn't the message, but uh, for, to be the Savior, he had to be born that way. He couldn't be born like any other person or he would have inherited a sin nature just like I did and you did. The point though is that uh, Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Who was this sign for? This sign was for the nation of Israel because they like signs. <laughs> I'm not making fun. I'm just saying. I mean, imagine if you will, uh, here, here comes Mary. She's never known a man and she has a baby. Wouldn't you have thought that every one of them would have said, hey, this is exactly what Isaiah said. But that's not what happened. 33 years later, they would crucify him. Let's not pick on them, though, because we might have done the very same thing. Because here's the answer right in front of their face. I mean, they believed Isaiah. They be, I mean, you talk to someone today that, that is, uh, that is uh, uh, Jewish in their religious belief system, you're going to have to use the Old Testament. And right here it is in the Old Testament. It said a virgin would conceive. And they know that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, but yet still blinded. But here's a prophecy. The last one that we'll look at, we mentioned it uh, in our Bible reading this morning, where he would be born. It was prophesied by the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. This was, by the way, um, 750 years, approximately, before Jesus was born. He's writing and saying, And thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Meaning he didn't begin to exist in the manger. 
John 1.1 1, 1 proves that as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But here's a prophecy. Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. 750 years later, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. So we have the authenticity, the reliability, number one, of the Bible. Secondly, secondly, we have the durability of the Bible. The durability of the Bible. How long had Paul... How long had Timothy known the Scriptures? Since he was a child. Since he was a child. Verse 15. How could, how could this be if God, this could only be, excuse me, true, that is if God had kept them preserved from, and we learned a little bit about this from Brother Price a few weeks ago. You can kind of recall back to what he was telling us, which was very good. How could it go from way before Timothy to Timothy? It's because God had preserved his word. And God is still preserving his word today. Psalm 118.89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever is a long time. It's longer than you and I will ever be alive, Right? Which means if, if the Lord tarries his coming, that the, the word of I mean the word of God is God Himself, but meaning that my my grandchildren and, and my great grandchildren and on and on it'll go. If the Lord tarries his coming, the word of the Lord will endure forever. Meaning they'll have a copy of the Word of God as well. It might it might cost them a lot more than it costs me. I'm not talking about dollars either. I'm talking about persecution that comes around the Word of God. So letter A, the words preserved. The words preserved. When God gave us His Word, He preserved them so that man would have the truth of God forever. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. And to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. For me, I can, I can go back to my grandmothers, and I remember both of my grandmothers having a Bible. They, they both passed on many years ago. But I remember them having a Bible. I remember seeing them read the Bible. I remember seeing them bring their Bible to church. And uh, then I remember for, then I remember my parents having the Bible in our home. I'm thankful for that. Whether or not it started in your home as a child or now it's in your home as an adult, be thankful that we have the Word of God. And it will abide forever. We can hand it off to our children. And our children's children, because it says here that we may do that it will, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. God meant for man to have, he revealed and then had it preserved. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them. From this generation, I wasn't around when it was written, but I'm part of the last two words 
And you're part of the last two words. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So at the time it was written, would have been this generation. It wasn't us. Thousands of years ago, but now we're part of the forever. So we have this word, we have this book that has been preserved from the time it was written until today. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 8. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Boy, a lot of things change, don't they? A lot of things change. Governments change. People change. You change. I change. Doesn't mean it's necessarily all bad. But many times change is looked at that way, but the Word of God is the same as it was when it was written. It stands forever. It stood the test of time and it always will. It's been preserved. Letter A. Letter B. The manuscripts preserved. The manuscripts preserved. No other ancient book or writings has more extant evidence today than the Bible. The manuscripts preserved. Copies of manuscripts of the Word of God are located throughout the world. Let me read a little bit of this to you. I know it's a little laborious, but I think it will help us. Many of which have been preserved in historic collections. A Swiss-born gentleman by the name of Bodmer, Martin Bodmer, began a collection at the age of 16. Uh, he died in 1971. He had amassed 150,000 works in 80 languages. Among his collection was a rare copy of the Gutenberg Bible, as well as some of the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament that have been found. P66, if you've done any research on the Bible, P66, otherwise known as Papyrus 66, contains most of the Gospel of John. It is a manuscript that, is, that, is, that, is, that we have. I don't have it, but it's, it dates back to A.D. 200. A.D. 200. <clears throat> Another document in the collection is P72. This is in the collection of this Swiss-born collector. P72 contains the earliest found copy of the epistle of Jude and the epistles of Peter. The handwriting has been assigned to the 3rd and 4th century. That's what my writing looks like today. 3rd and 4th century. <laughs> Man, can you, write, can you print, please? That's what, you know. I used to do cursive, but not anymore. And the final document in his collection is noted P75. It's dated to AD 175 and 225, the earliest known copy of the Gospel of John and one of the earliest of the Gospel of, or Gospel of Luke and one of the earliest of the, the Gospel of John. There's so many more things I could read here, but I, I'm going to spare a little bit of that for us tonight. However, it is suffice it to say we have a vast documentation of God's Word throughout the centuries that have been preserved for us. Let her see the Bible indestructible. Let 
One quote says, the Bible has withstood vicious attacks of its enemies as no other book. Many have tried to burn it. Many have tried to outlaw it. Many have tried to ban it. Roman emperors to present-day communist-dominated countries. And yet we still have the Bible in it. It's, pr- it's printed in communist countries. Can you believe that? That's because they're just, they just want this, as we learned a few weeks ago. But I always think it's amazing to see, it'll say printed in, and then they'll have the country there. In 303 AD, Diocletian, he was an emperor in Rome, he issued an edict that said the Christians could no longer worship And he issued an edict to destroy every copy of the Scriptures. 25 years later, Constantine ordered 50 copies of the Bible made and distributed them throughout the entire empire. The evil plans of one man to destroy the Word of God were foiled by another. While I don't agree with everything about Mr. Constantine, but God used him to create even more copies of the Word of God. It's indestructible. There's one more here I want to give you. How many of you know William Tyndale and the name William Tyndale? Yes, much about William Tyndale. God used him to translate the Bible into English. In case you're wondering, that wasn't one of the three languages that the Bible was written in, okay? As much as we pride ourselves in English and many other languages here tonight, though, of course. But he was constantly on the run. He would, eventually, he would eventually give his life for his work in translating the Bible. He would be killed for it. He finally completed a translation of the Bible in English. And guess what happened? The government bought every copy. And then they burned them. They bought every copy and then they burned them. But what did that do? Tyndale could have really, wow. But you know what? Now he's got a pile of money. Because they bought them from him. So what did he do? He started again. He started again. And he um, improved it, worked on it. And he was martyred in 1536. And it was his Bible, one of his, his translation of the Bible, that was greatly used in the King James Version that would eventually be translated in 1611, by the way. Tyndale's Bible. Less than 100 years later. The reliability of the Bible, the durability of the Bible. Number three, the capability of the Bible. The capability of the Bible. What is it capable for? Look at verse 16, please, back in our text. It says, it is profitable for three things. Number one, doctrine. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine means what is right. It means teaching, how we should live our life. How do we, how do we, how do we know uh, how to be a church? Well, we just covered the entire book of Acts. And a lot of Acts, is, well, Acts is the first start of the church, apart from, obviously, the Lord Jesus and his disciples, but it was empowered at Pentecost, and then it spread all through the book of Acts. And we learned a lot about the church the missionary journeys and the churches being established. And then you go through Paul's epistles so you can learn much more. In other words, how do we learn how to be a church in 2022? Do we have to go to the Christian bookstore and buy a book on how to be a church? Yeah, it's called the Bible. 
That's how you learn how to be a church. You buy the Bible and you read it and we practice it. Why? Because its truths are unending. His truths are not changed by the, by the course of time. Oh, how, 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 do I, how, do I, um, how do I learn how to be a good parent or a godly parent? Do I go buy somebody's book on that? Well, there's a lot of good books on parenting. I'm not discounting that, but the best book on parenting is the Bible. It's a practical book. Practical instructions for life. How to be the best husband or wife. How to be the most obedient uh, child. How to be kind. How to forgive. You know, how to get rid of bitterness. You know, all of these things, they're in the Bible. It's profitable for doctrine, number one. Secondly, it's profitable for reproof. It says it right there in verse 16. In other words, reproof means it lets us know where we are wrong. And it will do that, won't it? It will convict me. It will convict you. When we're wrong and we come across something in the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God will say, you're wrong right here, see? You don't have to argue with God about it. God's word has been settled in heaven, remember, forever. You're not going to change God's opinion. I'm not going to change God's opinion. I need to change me. And I, I don't change me. God changes me through his word. So it's also for reproof. Nextly, it's also for correction. How to get it right. How to get whatever it is wrong right. Find it in the Bible. And then lastly, instruction in righteousness, how to keep it right. How to keep it right. So it's very capable in every area of life. Letter A, why is it very capable? Letter A, authentic power. Authentic power. The living word of God speaks to the heart of man. It speaks to my heart. It speaks to your heart with absolute truth. And it changes us for the better. God's Word makes us a better brother in Christ. God's Word makes us a better sister in Christ. God's Word makes our home more unified and more loving and so forth and so on. God's Word helps the church to stay on mission. We can't, we can't have uh, uh, preaching and teaching and, and we need the emphasis of all of it must be centered on this book. It makes everything better. God's word. Why? Because it has authentic power. It's not in me. It's not in you. But it's in his word. A.W. Tozer said this, An honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. A Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper and reading it, okay, God, what's wrong with me? Well, you'll... He'll answer that request, won't he? Scripture's foremost purpose is to bring us to Christ. We read that verse earlier. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. Being born again. What does it mean to be born again? Does it mean to go into your mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus told Nicodemus that. That's not what it means. It means to be born again spiritually. It's a new birth in Christ. How do we know this? God's Word. John 3, 3 says, ye must be born again. So if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, you've never been born again, then you're not heading to heaven. You're not on your way to heaven. 
when you die. The only way to go to heaven when you die is not by being a Baptist. It's not by getting baptized in the baptistry. That doesn't take anybody to heaven. You must be born again. How do we know this, Pastor Turner? Because God's Word tells us so. I didn't make it up. And if for somebody to not tell you that, they really don't love you. And so I'm just telling you tonight, I don't know who's listening online. I don't know everyone's testimony here. But um, the Word of God is what lets us know how we can come to Christ. And by the way, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is not a Chinese proverb. That is the Bible. That's the Word of God. God loves you. God loves you so much that He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin. We learned about that this morning. That every one of us, before we came to Christ, were wicked, vile sinners. And the best we could do, the Bible says, is like a, a rag. Filthy rag, Isaiah tells us. And so God loved me and God loved you in spite of me. That love is just amazing, isn't it? How do we know that? Because God tells us. Read 1 John. Read the book of 1 John. It's, it's a short book. It's five chapters long. We got stuck in it. We, we were working on it on a Wednesday night, so we got stuck in it. We'll see if we can come back to it. We got two chapters to go. God loves you. God wants you to be his child, just like the gentleman on Friday night discovered God loved. God loves him, and he responded to that love. And I guarantee you, he responded to verse after verse after verse after verse from the Word of God. The Bible shows us our need for the Savior. God reveals God's plan of salvation to us. The Bible reveals the greatness of our God. Thomas Brooks said it is the very drift and design of the whole Scripture to bring souls first to an acquaintance with Christ, then to an acceptance of Christ, then to build them in a sweet assurance of their actual interest in Christ. What is our daily goal as a Christian? To be more like Christ. How does this happen? By spending time in the Word of God. This book is a mirror it will reveal things on your face. I'm not saying literally. It will reveal things in your life and in my life that need to be removed. It changes us. It guides us. It strengthens us. It transforms us. It comforts us. There's nothing like the Word of God. It has authentic power. Letter B, it has authoritative principles. Authoritative principles. It makes no apologies for the doc for the truth. It presents all principles that are outlined in the Scriptures have been established for our good and benefit. And God states them authoritatively. May God help us to come to this book with a tender heart. It's going to be very difficult to come to this book in pride and get much out of it. You know why? Because the Bible says in itself that God resists the proud. He resisteth the proud. And He gives grace to the humble. You know, if we could come to this book 
with an open heart saying, you know, God, if you reveal something to me in this book that I need to change, I'm going to change it. That's, that's a great attitude to have, by the way. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 40 years or 40 days. That's a great attitude to have, isn't it? God, I know there's things in my life that need to change. Show me what needs to change. We come with that spirit of te- being teachable. That we are not the authority in our life. Again, a lot of times pride creeps in and we know better and we can do it and we can do it. No, no. The best place to get to is realizing I can't do it. I can't do it. But we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. Philippians 4, Philippians 3, 14. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. 4.13, excuse me. Through Christ. How do we know we can do all things through Christ? It tells us that in the book. We, review, we mentioned those areas a few moments ago. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Doctrine teaches us what to believe. We mentioned that already. I think I got ahead of myself there. Reproof shows us where we've strayed from the truth. I've I've given you this. Correction is God's mercy on us. Let her see, quickly. It is perfect. It's perfect process. Perfect process. Let's go back to our text, 2 Timothy 3. Almost done. Thank you for listening. Great job. I think we're going to have to sing maybe I May Never March in the Infantry next week. And uh, before, you know, because there's a lot of, this is kind of heavy sometimes and you know, it's Sunday night at 7.15, and we're getting a little bit tired. You're doing great. Look at 2 Timothy 3.17. That the man of God may be perfect. Mature is what that means. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Spiritual maturity is the process of becoming Christ-like. God's Word is profitable to bring us to that. I'll leave you with this quote. It really impacted me this week. D.L. Moody said this, The Scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. The Scriptures were not given to Increase our knowledge. You know, give us a big head. They were given to change our lives. Hey, I'm here today. I'm nobody. None of us in here are anybody anyway. But I'm here today because of the impact of this book. No doubt about it. The greatest reason I'm here today, the greatest reason you're saved today if you're on your way to heaven is because of the Bible. Nothing else is greater by way of impact than the Word of God, the the reliability of the Bible. I pray that this week, maybe we would even have more time in the Word of God.